football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson back here. You gave me a countdown, Sam. I was looking for it in the other chat. Mm -hmm. Was I on time? No, no, you nailed it. You got it right. Perfect. I, I, saw it. I was camera. watching. I was looking at this. Uh, we're, live. <clears throat> we're live. We're live. Sam are. is over at uh, Western and Southern Studio. I'm back in my parents' basement once again. Mm -hmm. And following up Monday's show or Tuesday's show where we gave a reason for hope positive feedback on every single team and now your show your favorite your baby here sam we used to call it reasons for pessimism we got reasons for concern though at least one for all 32 nfl teams yeah yeah it's it's uh, it's my time to shine this is uh this is what i live for dumping on every franchise easy easy we're gonna try to limit to one sam we're not gonna just like make a laundry list right i mean you know we'll see, see some what, teams see some teams doing. have more reasons for concern than others yeah, before we begin, don't forget, if you're looking to organize your financial future, make sure you start with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for all your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy quickly, often in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has partnered with Gerber Life, trusted by millions of families like yours for over 50 years. They also have over 1,600 five-star reviews on TrustPilot.com. So take steps to protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Take the 60-second quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at MeetFabric.com slash PFF. That's MeetFabric.com slash PFF. MeetFabric, M-E-E-T, Fabric.com slash PFF. Policies issued by Western Southern Life, insur Life Assurance Company and distri distributed by Gerber Life Agency, LLC, using fabric technologies. Not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. For more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFF. All right, Sam. You ready to get into this? Let's go. Oh, wait, wait. wait. We've uh, got to update people. The survey. Yeah. Don't forget about the survey. Where can people find the survey? Show description. The description of the uh, the podcast right now in YouTube or audio, I think, should have it. Also, my I've retweeted it recently. I don't think it's my pinned tweet uh, or the pinned tweet for the Twitter account at PFF NFL Pod should have it. And uh, what happened with the uh, the rugby videos here? We have videos. We have actual rugby skills videos, so we're good to go. Finally, our challenge. I had to pivot. Our our, our guy that I expected to hook us up all along, I think, is basically in a at a pit of depression after the European Cup final. So we went in another direction, and the good people at the uh, the Houston SaberCats have hooked us up. The guys that gave us the jersey, one of their players has given us some rugby skills videos, uh, which you're going to replicate. So now we've got. Dave Solfaro working on getting us a field to attempt these, and then you're going to give a shot of replicating some of these skills. And having looked through most, not all of the videos, I have yet to find one that I think you have a single prayer of executing. Come on now. So when we're talking skill videos here, are we talking 
different ways uh, so specific rugby skills or is this like a test of endurance or aerobic activity or anaerobic activity like what am i getting myself into here so there's a couple of basic skills in there and then it graduates pretty quickly to kind of trick shots um and you know obviously your best chance is executing the basic skill of which i think you have very little chance of achieving right and then the trick shots not a hope in hell well i'm looking forward to it for some reason should be uh should be great as long as i'm still sore from the alumni game the other day so yeah. hopefully i'll be recovered by then there's a couple of things in here by the way that i've never seen before even you know as someone who knows about rugby and things um so that's a good, that's a good sign for you all right let's get into it uh reasons for concern for all 32 nfl teams don't forget we gave you guys you know a glimmer of hope mm -hmm. a couple days ago that was me kind of dragging sam along he had never been on the optimism show no um it's my first time on the pessimism show so sam i'm going to defer to you gotcha on how to on how to handle this right how to, how do we bring uh pessimism to the table for all 32 fan bases so we'll yeah. start alphabetically like we did the other day the arizona cardinals are up first just a reminder the reason for optimism it was a bit of a stretch we said it was caleb williams they have a shot at him next year but Kick it off, Sam. Reasons for pessimism for your Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, well, we live in an instant gratification society, and the Cardinals will have no instant gratification this year because they stink. Their roster is awful. They don't have a quarterback. He's injured, so they're going to be starting Colt McCoy for most of the year. Consequently, they're barely going to win a game, and they're going to have a miserable season this year. The only optimism is, as you said, next year. So this season it's all pessimism it's all negativity it's all misery it's funny when sometimes the reason for optimism is the same as the reason <laughs> for pessimism you know i mean but you got to trudge through the season kyler murray's hurt your starting quarterback got hurt at the end of last season uh already pretty much dooming uh this season because yep. as you mentioned colt mccoy is the starter so you yeah there's not much to be excited about for the arizona cardinals here in 2023 they outright cut you know, one of their best players in New Hopkins just to try and get the, the camp situation in order, to try and clear space, to try and get ready for next year. Everything they're doing is designed around 2024, which means 2023 is going to be bad. I mean, there's really no way of avoiding that. All right, pretty easy one for the, for the Cardinals kicking things off. Let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons. Sam, reason for concern for the Falcons. The reason for concern is that Desmond Ritter is currently the starting quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons in an offense that otherwise looks pretty good. Um, their offensive line is in good shape. They've got some receiving weapons in Drake London and Kyle Pitts. They just added Bijan Robinson to a running back or a backfield that was already cooking. But Desmond Ritter is a mid-tier quarterback in a draft class that was awful at quarterback, and they've decided that he's the guy to, to lead them forward in this offense. Like, Marcus Mariota effectively played his way out of the starting position last season. Ritter came in, and if anything, was worse. So that's pretty concerning. You're muted. 55.9 PFF grade last year. And, you know, his first two games graded in the 40s. If, you know, I'm not trying to spin this into optimism here. We're trying to be negative. Mm -hmm. uh, his last two games were his best games. So I'm sure some Falcons fans are going to say, no, he, you know, arrow pointing up Desmond Ritter. We don't really know what he is, but I think, you know, there are reasons for optimism with the Falcons because of all the cool players that you mentioned that we mentioned on the optimism show, 
all of the great additions that they've made on the defensive side of the ball where they were really uh, devoid of talent for a couple of years. But it might mean nothing if Desmond Ritter's not good. So unless he takes a big step forward in year two as a as a third-round pick, I think this has to be the reason for concern that the Falcons made uh, have a, a much better roster now than I think they did two years ago, but we it might not mean anything in wins and losses because of the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. In agreement. Easy. Uh, who's next? See how easy The Baltimore it is Ravens. To just dump on teams? What should we be... What's that? You see how easy it is to just dump, dump on teams and write them off? Just dump on them. Yeah, but I'm tr- you know trying to just do one thing. Trying to just do one thing to be concerned okay. about, not a million. Uh, what are you concerned about with the Baltimore Ravens? To be fair, it gets harder when you get to teams like Baltimore. Um, you know, if you're really looking for, uh, I would say there's two potential areas of concern. Number one, that division is tough. You know, the, the Bengals yeah. look fantastic, look like one of the contenders. The Browns, every offseason, but in particular this one, are projected to be an awful lot better than they were a year ago. Pittsburgh are never bad and could be significantly better if uh, Kenny Pickett takes a step forward in year two. So their division is brutal. The conference is brutal. Um, and then the other area is, okay, we're shifting to this new offense, Todd Munkin. Not that the offense is bad, but that we've only seen Lamar Jackson effectively within this Greg Roman offense that was literally custom-built, a bespoke offense constructed around Lamar Jackson and his unique skill set. Now he's going to be in a different system that is presumably going to ask him to do more diff- uh, do different things and more of them than he's done in the past. And that wide receiver room is still a question mark. OBJ coming off injuries, coming off, you know, not being the same player he used to be for quite a number of years. Zay Flowers, a rookie who you and I were much lower on than a lot of other people. And Rashad Bateman, who hasn't been particularly good and has been injury prone since he's been in the NFL. That room is still a big question mark. Another one where, uh, you know, I, I I spun that as new scheme, new ceiling mm. from an optimism standpoint. But I think all those are valid. My my concern is different. I'm not this isn't a piling on. It's just I'm coming at it from a different angle. Um, I think the secondary depth is probably the worst it's been over the last couple of years with Marcus Peters out. And I know they've had a lot of injuries the last couple of years, but you've got Marlon Humphrey. Uh, you, you, you have a Kyle Hamilton. Uh, Marcus Williams, those guys are good, but the Ravens had been rolling three and four deep at corner for a few years. You've got Rocky Sin uh, scheduled to be a starter. You have Geno Stone coming in to start for uh, Chuck Clark, who who got traded. I, I think the Ravens might be a little thinner in the secondary. Not not not. I'm, I'm nitpicking a little bit here, but a little thinner than they had been in recent years. So I'd say that might be an area of concern for the Ravens, in addition to what you're saying. And of course, Lamar Jackson staying healthy. Uh, for whatever it's worth, he finished the last two seasons not playing, and we saw a massive difference in the Ravens, obviously, when he's not out there. So mm-hmm. I guess it was easier than we thought. Okay. All right. Uh, so you don't you don't like to make declarative statements like I do, right? Like not in the optimism show, every team's going to the Super Bowl. They're all winning their division. They're getting over the hump, so to speak, whatever it might be. Are uh, the Ravens a three-win team? You know what? What do you want to make for? I need a good declaration for uh, social media here. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not foolish enough to do that. That's that's your purview. You do the declarations. I stay silent so that the social media team can clip them all and and basically tag all takes exposed to, all takes exposed in them ahead of time. All right, let's try this. Uh, Ravens bold take. Uh, they're going to go undefeated in the preseason for the ninth straight year and then not win another game because they're going to be terrible. Nice. Flip that one. Uh, Buffalo Bills. Reason for pessimism in Buffalo, Sam. 
The window's closed, I'm sure, right? It's over. Yeah, well, so the reason for pessimism is you know, they still have weaknesses. You know, the, the Von Miller, who was supposed to fix everything along the defensive line and kind of did for a run of games, then got hurt. He's now 34 years old. As of three days ago, there were reports saying Von Miller could miss the start of the regular season, so he's not even necessarily back by the time they start the year. And even if he comes back, we don't know what kind of Von Miller we're going to get. Last season without Von Miller, the group that was supposed to get better, the young group, Gregory Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa, uh, Boogie Basham, these guys just did not step up in his absence and get it done. So Buffalo still have holes that in a loaded AFC might keep them from winning the Super Bowl. You've got a little bit of turnover. Uh, you know, losing a guy like Tremaine Edmonds and not necessarily having a rock-solid replacement there. Uh, Edmonds coming off of a career year. Is it fair to bring up the offensive line again? Yeah. You know, I thought last year at this time we said, hey, you know, Buffalo had done a great job be uh, creeping back toward average during the Josh Allen era. But last year was it looked on paper like the worst offensive line that they had had, or at least the most question marks, you know, since probably year two for Josh Allen, since 2019. And this year's similar. So you have Deion Dawkins, who's solid at left tackle. Uh, they did draft Osiris Torrance. We'll see if he steps in, you know, second round guard. Um, but the projected starters, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morse, uh, Ryan Bates, or, or, or Torrance, and Spencer Brown, none of those guys graded above 61 PFF grade last year. So I would say the O-line could still be a concern for the Bills. And we saw how many games they just relied on Josh Allen to to make that big play on third down, they would love to be able to rely rely on their offensive line to pick up short yardage and you know give it to the backs every now and again, take a little pressure off Josh Allen, and they might not be equipped to do that again this year unless Osiris Torrance hits the ground running or whatever it might be. So um, again, it feels like nitpicking because I, I think the Bills are as good as last year, despite coming off of a you know tough loss to the Bengals. They're as good as they were last year, um, but maybe it's still some of the concerns where if they lose a player here and there like they did last year, they become a little bit more fragile. Yeah, I mean, the concern is relative, right? Like, Buffalo yes. is going to be better than Arizona no matter what happens this season, but their concern is relative to expectations, which are challenging for a Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl, let's face it. Like, the, the Bills expect to be a Super Bowl team, and, you know, the reason for concern is the, the reasons they weren't last year are kind of still there. Yeah, you're you're a little soft there, Sam. I I would say the reason for concern, Aaron Rodgers is in the division and two is coming back. The Dolphins took him to the wire with Skylar Thompson in the playoffs. You know, the Patriots have Bill O'Brien back. Like the Bills might they might be in fourth in the AFC East. Mm. First to worst in the See, AFC East for the Bills. It's gonna be a rough season. I think you're you're a victim of this, you know, all or nothing polarization of the world right now. Just just because you're on the pessimism or on the pessimism show, the pessimistic side of things, doesn't mean you need to take it too far. Like we're not I don't the Bills are gonna make the playoffs. They're gonna be good. They're gonna be challengers, but they're gonna come up short because, you know, their pass rush hasn't become what it was supposed to because Von Miller's thirty four and coming off an injury, because they haven't necessarily fixed the offensive line, because they just haven't taking that next step. That's the reason for concern. We don't need to, you know, over-egg the cake here. All right. Well, that, that's really good pessimism. Pessimism. They're realistic pessimism from mm -hmm. Sam. All right. We're on to the Carolina Panthers. Reasons for concern with the Panthers. Uh, Bryce Young is five foot seven and 117 pounds, and that's not going to fly in the NFL. 
I mean, look, I've, I've seen another, the videos. He was our reason for optimism. Have you seen the videos where his offensive line stands up and he disappears? Listen, they're doing some crazy things with AI these days, <laughs> and uh, they're making Bryce Young look really small. The microphone's huge and all that stuff. They're putting the microphone up to his face like this. Look. Behind. Yeah. Can't even see Bryce behind the microphone. Mm-hmm. It's all fake. It's fake news. Okay. Give me some real news. I mean, look, I think it's it's a fair it's a fair reason for concern that they are going to try and get this done with an an unprecedented size quarterback, a guy who, okay, he's five foot ten, he's one hundred and eighty five pounds. I forget the two oh four. I'm not buying it for a second. Five ten, one eighty five. That doesn't exist in the NFL at quarterback. It is a wild outlier relative to anybody else, Um, and it's a realistic fear that the first time a dude that weighs 330 pounds gets him in his grip and tosses him to the turf, that's going to have dire physical consequences. Yeah, I mean, it's all fair. I mean, we, <coughs> we talked about it a lot during the uh, during draft season. We love Bryce Young, but it'll be interesting to see how the height and weight thing plays out. I, I'm going to highlight something similar to the, to the Ravens, though. The secondary for the Panthers, I think when J.C. Horn is healthy, <coughs> he looks fantastic. It's more the cornerback room. Dante Jackson and C.J. Henderson and Keith Taylor, you know, players competing for cornerback two opposite J.C. Horn. Bit of a question mark, I think, for the Panthers. The defense has been solid the last couple of years. I think they still will be. I just don't know how great they are at corner. And, of course, general quarterback question marks with Bryce Young as a rookie. Of course, all reasons for concern and optimism all at the same time. And also, like, who is Bryce Young throwing to? I mean, this is another element. Like, we keep talking up the... They're a lot like the Indianapolis Colts receiving core from a couple of years ago, where it's possible to construct a, you know, a utopian vision in your brain where all of these individual players hit their maximum ceiling and Adam Thielen isn't, in fact, toast and DJ Chark uh, becomes that, you know, one-trick pony that's a real threat as a deep uh, receiver. Terrace Marshall takes a step. Jonathan Mingo hits the ground running. Hayden Hurst is only... Uh, realizes his first-round potential. Like, you can construct this vision where all these things happen, but the realistic outlook, like the most likely option for all of those players is a relatively ineffective player next year. Yeah, smells like 0-17 to me (laughs) for the Panthers. People in the chat said, let Steve cook. Let me just tell you, nobody's going to win a game. Everybody's going to lose. Let us go. Uh, Chicago Bears, reasons for pessimism in Chicago. Uh, Justin Fields doesn't develop as a passing quarterback, and last year is what he is. And therefore, yeah. what you have is a dynamic rushing threat, one-trick pony who can't really win games because he can't pass. Yeah, so I think, yeah, the, the way you want to take these questions, what are reasons for concern? There is a world where Fields doesn't take that next step. You know, we described the opposite on the Optimism Show, but if Fields doesn't take that next step a lot of the good work that ryan poles has done since taking over as gm building back some depth and building through the draft a lot of that work doesn't matter um, (laughs) until you find the next quarterback right i mean and and maybe that ends up being okay they have another top 10 pick or maybe a top two pick again and they're in the caleb williams and in drake may sweepstakes and all that stuff but they invested in fields and, and when as much as we're talking about bryce young and his height and all that stuff we brought up the potential situation where they could draft Bryce Young and move on from fields. And it'll be interesting to see how both of those quarterbacks develop in the coming years. I think on the field, other than fields, not developing, 
uh, defensive line, right? We They haven't gotten to it yet. They haven't been able to address the defensive line just yet. Uh, they invest in a Demarcus Walker to come in, Andrew Billings. I didn't love either of the two defensive tackles that they drafted uh, out of out of the SEC. So I think the defensive line is absolutely going to be a concern for the Bears this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, the roster is still a work in progress, but I think the real area for concern is if Justin Fields doesn't take the step everybody is expecting him to, the Bears are still in a lot of trouble. How was the uh, landscaping going over here? Did that pick up pretty well? Uh, no. Oh, good. Well, good job by the microphone here. So, yeah, the Bears, you know, they're still in the middle of the rebuild, too. I mean, so if you're saying, hey, Chicago Bears fan, I'm optimistic. You know, we're going to we're gonna win 15 games this year. You know, you know, you're just in the middle of the rebuild still. Arrows pointing up, but there's still concerns on the Bears roster. Mm-hmm. All right, Cincinnati Bengals. Reasons for concern. Who? This one's tougher. Um, it is. Similar, I, I mean, you have the same I argument. I can start if you don't have something. Well, you have the same argument as Baltimore, right? The, the, the division, the, the AFC generally, the gauntlet that they have to run is brutal. Um, and that that's always going to be a thing. Outside of that, go on, what have you got? I'm, I'm struggling. It, it's, it's nitpicking again, but it's like the, the, the safety duo. You know, when, when you start to pay the quarterbacks, when you start or you're setting up to pay Joe Burrow, or when you're Baltimore and you, you do pay a Lamar Jackson, you're going to lose some players along the way. Um, so losing Jesse Bates and losing Von Bell. I think most Bengals fans expected to lose Jesse Bates. They were hoping to keep a Von Bell who was vi- you know, very good, uh, versatile safety, could play close to the line of scrimmage, is solid as a free safety. Um, they, they did a nice job drafting a year ahead. So a guy like Daxton Hill probably steps into one of those spots. They drafted Jordan Battle from Alabama in the third round. Like they... They've put some resources to it, but it's a question mark, right? It's a reason for concern. We don't know what Daxton Hill is going to do. Battle is an outstanding football player who had a terrible workout. Uh, Nick Scott, uh, Michael Thomas, the safety. Those guys are all battling for playing time, replacing two really solid players. And if they don't do well, does that, you know, Lou Anarumo has done a really good job scheming it up, right? And having the ability to adjust week to week, half to half, and how much were was having two really good safeties, veteran safeties, how much were they a part of that? So, again, very specifically, is the safety room a concern for the Bengals? It's at least a question mark going into 23 here. Yeah, sure. I mean, they, they've sort of backfilled, or they, they future-proofed a lot of positions, but now they actually need those players to step up and be good. Otherwise, it will be a, a step back from a year ago. But, you know, you look top to bottom, and the Bengals are one of the most complete teams, one of the most complete rosters. It's difficult to imagine a world where they are in real trouble. Um, the closest I think you could construct is they, I think, took a similar approach to their offensive line to Buffalo in terms of let's just try and get average across the board and make sure that we don't have liabilities. If, again, if what happened to Buffalo last year happens to them and a lot of those players hit the low end of their range of outcomes, you could be back in a season where Joe Burrow is under pressure a lot pretty quickly. And the one other specific concern there is right tackle where Lyle Collins is coming off an injury. Jonah Williams, <laughs> the former left tackle, is is he disgruntled? Is he still looking for a trade? Will he move to right tackle? Like right tackle still a question mark for the Bengals going into the season. Mm-hmm. All right, staying in the division, the Cleveland Browns. Reasons for concern for the Browns. Uh, if Deshaun Watson doesn't get any better from last year, they're screwed. 
Um, Deshaun Watson had a PFF grade of 55 last season. He was he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. He looked awful when he got back, and maybe a couple of games of that was expected in terms of Russ, given the layoff, given the amount of time he'd been out of the game. But if he doesn't improve this year, the entire the entire organization is is in real trouble because everything went on that giant trade to bring in Deshaun Watson because of the belief that he could take this team somewhere completely different to any range of outcomes they had before he arrived. And if that isn't a, a, real, a reality, you know, everything's gone. I think that's the obvious one. Watson, you mentioned the 55 grade, previous years 80, 82, 92, and down to 55. If for some reason Watson, you know, what could be the reasons? Rust, um, just, you know, not being around for a while, all, all the everything that was happening off the field. Was it the the you know me with the domes, nice environment, passing in Houston versus going to the outdoors in Cleveland? Did that affect things? All of those things are concerns. Uh, the optimism show. We said, look, I, I I highlighted the roster depth. You highlighted the defensive line additions. Much like some of the other answers here, all of the good things a team does could just be voided if the quarterback's not good, and if he's if he's not. You know, if he grades at 70, to be honest, you know, if he's a 70 graded quarterback rather than, you know, at the very least getting back up into the low 80s, I think the Browns could be in trouble. Uh, I, I like a lot of the other things that they've done, the, the places that they've attacked on their roster. I think they're solid across the board. And, and Watson's the only big concern, I think, going into the season. No, absolutely. I mean, I like what they've done as a roster. I think they've, they've built around um, last year. I think they let the talent get chipped away at a little bit. And then and the, the talk, the narrative was, you know, just how hard it is to maintain an elite roster when you get a high-end quarterback. But they've done a really good job this offseason of sort of building it back up. And I would say the current roster is in as good a shape as it's been um, during the last sort of several years. And they have the quarterback, theoretically. But it all relies on Watson being better than he was last season. And you're right, being somewhere near the quarterback that he was earlier in his career. And if that doesn't happen, they're screwed. All right, let's go to the Dallas Cowboys. Reasons for concern with the Cowboys. Uh, Dak Prescott is at the top end of quarterbacks that you can win with, but you can't win or you don't win because of you know he's in that Kirk Cousins bucket he's Kirk Cousins with better PR and you don't win a Super Bowl with those guys wow that's a good clip I'm I'll stay quiet (laughs) you want to add on to that uh I mean we've seen like what is the ceiling of Dak Prescott's play can he win a Super Bowl of course like Nick Foles has won a Super Bowl of course it's possible um but in a world where you're gonna have to beat Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or even in the NFC, you got to get past the Eagles, you got to get past the 49ers. Can Dak Prescott do that consistently and win those games on his own merit on a regular basis? I haven't really seen the evidence of it. Yeah, I mean, you always call him the quarterback, maybe mo- not so much most dependent on a supporting cast, but we've seen him put up really good production when he has those three and four legitimate targets. We've seen his production tank just a little bit or his grade tank a little bit when he doesn't necessarily have them. I thought Dallas's inconsistency last year made no sense. And look, we're not, we were going to bat for Dak last year, led the league in interceptions. Everybody that cites that stat, like get out of here, forget stupid interception totals that, that are irrelevant. But as soon as we started defending Dak, who was having terrible interception luck, he did start pitching it to the defense 
last game of the season against Washington and um, at times in the playoffs. So, yeah, I think it it the 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 positive is Dak is going to win a lot of games and keep you in a lot of games and be very very good. And the negative is also can he get you over the hump? The concern is can he get you over the hump? Um, because when we talked about it in the optimism show. I loved that they brought in Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore at, at crucial positions where they brought in veterans who have shown that they can produce. And on paper, it looks great thrown to CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, Jake Ferguson, Luke, Sco- uh, Luke Schoonmaker in the in the draft. It looks great, but it still comes down to Dak and his performance. And, you know, he's he's a reason for optimism and, and perhaps concern until we see him do it a little bit more consistency, consistently down the stretch. The one other thing I'd say, too, is like the annual Tyron Smith Injury watch at left tackle. He's not getting any younger, but that's a very specific thing that Dallas might have to account for this season. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's it has wider ranging um, effects. I think, like obviously, Tyron Smith is a perpetual injury concern, but Terrence Steele at right tackle is coming off an injury. Tyler Smith at left guard spent last season playing left tackle with the view that he was supposed to be a guard and was pretty good, but you know, is a little bit of a question mark in terms of where his ceiling is and at what position. And then Tyler Biadish was previously like the clear weak link on the offensive line and now might not be, but in part because the rest of the offensive line has gotten worse and it's not that, you know, Tyler Biadish is great. So there's definitely a range of outcomes where that offensive line is not particularly good next year, which, as we said, with Dak Prescott being you know, one of the most sensitive quarterbacks in the NFL to changes in his environment and supporting cast would not be a good thing. So you heard it here first, Dallas, not even making the playoffs because of Dak per Sam. All right, on to the Denver Broncos. Reasons for concern. Russ is cooked. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Sean Payton coming in cannot fix Russell Wilson. The problems from last season are terminal. Sean Payton might be able to put lipstick on a pig, but he's not going to change the reality that they don't have a quarterback anymore. Like unless they, unless Sean Payton actually has the guts to sit down Russell Wilson and put Jarrett Stidham in there, or Ben DiNucci, XFL MVP Ben DiNucci, uh, then this team is it's just it, no sunk. That's it. I mean, but think about all the time Russ has had to you know do dynamic warmups and get his high knees in since the end of the season. Didn't oh. have to didn't have a playoff run to worry about. He's had a lot of workout time. We in the 2023 season started for him. Back in early January, right, and the, we, you know, before we had this uh, segment of potential off-season bear traps, media narratives that you don't want to fall into. One that we didn't cover that's absolutely going to be a thing is: Have you seen the before and after photos recently of Russell Wilson? Man's looking lean. You know, he's been putting in the work. He's been dropping the weight that kept him down last season. Now you're going to get a hungry, leaner version of Russell Wilson going into this year with Sean Payton, and the man's going to look like he did way back in his Seattle career. It's all It was all a weight problem. You know, he just you think that's on, a bear trap? I might buy it. I might buy that. He looked a little, uh, why it's a bear a little heftier yeah. last year. That's why it's a bear trap, though. You're going to look at him, and you're going to be like, the man's dropped 10 pounds, and therefore he's going to be yeah. an all-pro. Yeah, because it looked like he lost a step. And, and a big part of Russell Wilson's game was the escapability. And uh, look, you, we all hit a point in our career where your brain is telling you to do something and your body just can't execute it like it once could. Yeah. Right? And you're gonna, you know, maybe you're going to see me do that with the, with the rugby skills. Russ looked like that, where his, his, he was like, oh, I know how to do this. You put a little shimmy on this defensive tackle and you break out of the pocket and the shimmy just kind of like collapsed and he got sacked. 
you know, if he's got the shimmy back, maybe. <laughs> I, okay, I'm spinning too much into optimism, but right. I'm by. I'm I'm stepping on the bear trap here, Sam. Oh, this if is, he's lost ten pounds, that's definitely. Let me see have, that picture. That's got to be a that's got to be a bet that we have, whether with a listener or just between you and I for uh, for a lunch or whatever going into the season. I feel like we're gonna have to have a Russell Wilson bet in there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's going to show up in stats or oh, anything like that, but sudden. I think it's just he's gonna he's gonna look faster. Let me. Uh, he's gonna look see, more. Let me see if I can look more athletic. But see. yeah, I mean, obviously the biggest concern is you invested all this money in Russell Wilson, huge trade, and he might just not be good. Hmm. That's a concern that until it's no longer a concern. Next, good luck with this one, Sam. The Detroit Lions. Uh, I mean, they're still the Lions. That's the reason for concern, right? We wow. I mean, you know, they look last season, right? Everything was going great with the fighting Dan Campbells. We're on a roll. Did they make the playoffs? Didn't even make the playoffs. No, they got Lions at the end of it. It's so, the Rams' fault. You know, it's still a thing until they show it's not. Also, by the way, like Jared Goff is their starting quarterback, and as much as Detroit Lions fans think he's amazing because. He's basically on a run of like Nick Folsey in play right now, where his stats are insane because the situation is fantastic in terms of offensive coordinator, scheme, system, etc. He's still Jared Goff, and that's not great. Jared Goff was very good down the stretch, but as I always say, I think the PFF grade does a good job of separating the quarterback from statistical output. Uh, Goff is a fascinating one because he's had a few years, both with uh, Sean McVay and last year with the Lions and Ben Johnson. A few years where the grade wasn't great and the stats still look good. So career grades for Jared Goff, 75, back in 2017, I'll go through all of them. 75, 84, 72. These last listen to these last few years. 72, 71, 60, 72. So even though the stats were better last year, from a PFF grade standpoint, we saw a similar level of performance. The grades were much better down the stretch for Goff. He did play really well down the stretch. But between some interception luck and some, you know, call it scheme production that was in there, the stats looked a lot better for Goff. So I would say that is a concern. It doesn't mean that they can't produce again, but it makes the offense a little bit more fragile because, again, you've got a mid-tier quarterback. That's what Jared Goff is. A mid-tier quarterback is a guy that can perform at a similar level uh, year over year, and the stats can fluctuate a little bit based off what's around him. So I think that would be... A potential reason for concern for a team like the Lions who have a lot going for them and a lot of positives and things to be excited for going into the season. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's not that Jared Goff is a bad quarterback. Like, that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is simply um, we've already seen that in order for Jared Goff to go to a Super Bowl, you needed one of the greatest offenses in the NFL, one of the greatest play callers in the NFL, um, and he still didn't quite get it done once they ran into the Super Bowl and they ran into a really good team. Now, the NFL is full of really good teams right now. A the NFC less so, so it's, it's opening up for them in those terms. But eventually, they're going to run into the Eagles or the 49ers, or maybe they make it to a Super Bowl, and then they run into the Chiefs. Like, can they win that game with Jared Goff at quarterback, given the roster that they have and the roster that the team they're going to be facing has? I feel like that's the reason for concern is that, yeah, like Jared Goff is good enough to take it to a level, but he's, he, he might not be good enough to take it the whole way. All right, on to the Green Bay Packers staying in the NFC North. Reasons for concern with the Packers? Uh, they no longer have Aaron Rodgers. This one's easy. I mean, Jordan Love, 
sure, he looked good in like 20-odd dropbacks or nine passes against the Eagles, but what if he's still terrible? What if he's still terrible? Just what if he's still terrible? Yeah. I just told you he's the next Hall of Famer yesterday. You did. You got that. You got the uh, ungrateful, curmudgeon Aaron Rodgers out of the building mm-hmm. yesterday. Yeah, you know, that's what we talked about two days ago. That's what we talked about. That's a positive. But it also could be a negative, yeah, because Jordan Love, he's a concern. We, we don't know what he is. We don't know what he is yet. And I think we're also going to learn a lot about the impact Aaron Rodgers has had on the rest of that offense. So, you know, the wide receivers are still young and unproven and didn't really get added to in terms of high-end talent. You had a few draft picks thrown out at Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks. Um, but, you know, Romeo Dobbs is still scheduled to start for this team. Christian Watson had a, a really nice run towards the end, but what was inconsistent, and that might have just been a really high-end run as opposed to the baseline of what he's going to be. Tight end is a pair of rookies that they drafted. Um, and then the real key is that offensive line, which for years has been a really good unit and generally felt like it was overachieving. You know, it was a better unit than they looked like on paper. We know that Aaron Rodgers is extremely good at manipulating a pocket and, you know, is able to move around and reset the leverage of offensive linemen and generally help out those guys, even if he's going to – there's a little bit of give and take there, like he's going to hold the ball longer than he should sometimes and maybe stress those guys on certain plays. But I think generally – Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, as an offensive lineman, is a net positive for you. Now they have Jordan Love. Is that all of a sudden are we going to see the sort of the guys that don't look great on paper, Josh Myers, John Runyon, Royce Newman, um, those types of guys, Josh Nyman if he has to play? Are we going to see the weaknesses of those guys exposed when Jordan Love is the quarterback? Uh, yeah, I, of everything you mentioned, I would highlight the receivers – Absolutely, as a question. Like, if Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback and you said, hey, the Packers this offseason, they drafted Jaden Reed from Michigan State. He'll come in, maybe contribute. But it, they're rolling back with four, last year's fourth round of Romeo Dobbs. They're rolling back with Christian Watson, who was unbelievable down the stretch. But Watson doesn't look like a, a number one type. He looks like your uh, unbelievable big play, deep threat. You're not going to feed him 12 targets per game, but the six or seven that he gets, you know, could become big plays, touchdowns, and the whole deal. That That is a concern. I think the pass catchers in Green Bay, they could be good. They're young. They're really young. A lot of first- and second-year players, but I think in the short term, uh, while Jordan Love is a question because we just don't know what he's going to be, the receiving core and the tight ends absolutely are. So concerns, some concerns in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about the Houston Texans, Sam? Reasons for concern in Houston? Uh, they still have a very bad team, top to bottom. <laughs> They've made a lot of moves. They've overhauled a lot of things, but the talent level on that roster is pretty ugly. And throw a dart at a depth chart on either side, and you'll find a weakness. Um, You know, the offensive line still has problem issues, the secondary, the defensive front. uh, And that's before you get to the concerns that you're going to have about C.J. Stroud and what he can be in the NFL and the fact that the guy scored in the single digits potentially in the S3 cognition test. Is that a problem for a quarterback where, like, this is what we're trying to to quantify with cognition tests and, and those types of mental acuity uh, measurements is can you adjust on the fly? Can you react instantly to pressure situations and make the correct decision um, on the fly? If he can't, 
I don't see that functioning in the NFL. You leaned right into uh, S3 cognition, huh? Let's go. You went right into the cognition test as a, a reason for concern for the Texans. I'm a believer. Look, I, I think they have made great strides in places across the roster. The offensive line, I think the defensive line, and the big investment that they made in Will Anderson um, should be better. I think realistically the defensive line still needs help, so I'd say that's a reason for concern. Will Anderson's good. Jerry Hughes is good. Defensive tackles, a bit of a question mark there, I think, for the, for, the, for that team. The other reason for concern is the reason why we bashed them when it came to the draft. You know, they – they could if if I could take Caleb Williams as a reason for optimism, I think a reason for concern is that the Texans essentially gave up three really high value players value players for Will Anderson. And as exciting as this year should be, I think, for the Texans, I think they'll be better. We could be sitting here next year at this time saying, man, they could really use pick 10. They could really use these other these other picks that they gave up or more players for these other holes on the roster. So I think that's also a reason for concern. The fact that the Texans uh did mortgage a, mortgage a bit of their future, and, you know, they're still not great. I, look, again, when you look up and down the roster, it's better. I think they'll be competitive. They'll win a lot more games, I think, but they're still a ways away. Well, also, the the other area or the other concern is um, the worse they are, the bigger that mistake is. Like, it compounds it, it compounds the mistake, right? If, they, if they're a bad team this year, then that's a potentially catastrophic error because, I mean, look, Vegas win totals, whatever you want to look like. The, the odds right now say that Houston are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. If they are, then they gave away one of the most valuable draft picks that exists. And given the draft that looks like it's going to be next year with, you know, potentially generational Caleb Williams, potentially generational Marvin Harrison Jr., like we're talking about giving away one of the most valuable draft picks in the last several years to get Will Anderson, who might not have made any difference to your team by that point in the year. So that's the real issue. Did I hear you're writing about Marvin Harrison Jr. this week? Yes. It shouldn't surprise it, me, but it does somehow. He moves like Marvin Harrison, you know? Bigger, though, right? He's bigger. Way bigger. I To the point yeah. where I'm almost not believing. Like, how tall is he? Did you stand next to him? Did you get a... You were. Yeah, I was the, not on the sideline when I was at the spring game, no. No. That's unfortunate. I, I need... He's listed at 6'4". I'm not buying that. Why does it boggle your mind when like fathers and sons don't look exactly alike? Like you, it it, it breaks your brain that Joey Porter Jr. is a corner and not a an edge rusher. Boggle my mind. I just find it strange that a guy who I, I find it different. I find it odd that the genes diverge that amount. Like you and yeah, your dad. My dad doesn't my make dad's any sense like to me. Five eleven. He said he was six foot. He's probably like five eight now. My dad's like five eleven. Right. Two hundred. Look yeah. at me. That that makes no sense to me. Like my dad, I think is six one, six two, and I'm five eleven. That kind of makes sense. You're in the same ballpark. Yeah, that's close. Yeah. Anyway, I'm looking forward to. So, do you like Marvin Harris, Harrison Jr. so far? Yes, yes, he's good. very good. He's got a couple of weaknesses, I think, to his play, but they're things I think they're easily fixable. So, sweet. All right, on to the Indianapolis Colts. Reasons for concern in Indy. Uh, you drafted a quarterback that wasn't even good in college. That's oh probably, gosh, it's probably not going to fly in the NFL. Man. <laughs> That's a pretty big reason to be concerned, don't you think? Yeah, that'd be a concern. I mean, look, Anthony the, Richardson struggled to complete passes in college. Yeah, by far, Anthony Richardson's biggest selling point was he's the greatest athlete to come into the league at the quarterback position ever. 
And he reminded a lot of people of Cam Newton because Cam Newton was the only guy you can think of that was that big, even vaguely that fast, with a big arm and you know had some accuracy issues himself. One of the huge differences between the two is that Cam Newton went to Auburn and then dragged a franchise or a, a program to a national championship game basically single-handed. You look at the talent around him on that roster. I, I forget, somebody did this recently. Like, none of the receivers, I think, got drafted. One of the offensive linemen played an NFL game. Like, there was no talent around that guy, and he still won a national championship. Anthony Richardson went there, and it wasn't even clear that Florida were better than they were before he arrived. Like, that's a pretty big difference in terms of impact for a guy that you're expecting to come in and transform an NFL franchise going forward. Someone's asking for an apology letter for Anthony Richardson in a couple of years. Look, like we're, 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 we're literally just giving both sides. He was the reason for optimism the other day, too, because he got yeah. all the tools to work with, and he could be great, and you're gonna, he's going to run for 1,000 yards. But, I mean, the cause for concern is, yeah, like he might not develop. If we're going to say, hey, Justin Fields might not develop, the reason for concern with Richardson is he might not develop. He might not hit open throws. Yeah, the, this... He might not have... Uh, you know, the ability to become a high-end passer, and he might only be a good runner at the next level. This show, um, He did get banged up a little bit at Florida when he ran, much like a Justin Fields. Like, those are concerns as well. Yeah, this show is about highlighting the negative end of the range of outcomes that yeah. players are going to have, or the teams are yeah, going to have. you're not getting anything that we're going to apologize for from this show. We're Correct. purposely doing this. I've already like, said. When we get to the Chiefs, we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes progressing because he doesn't have Tyree Kill. <laughs> we have to make something up. I've already said that I love the fit of Anthony Richardson going to the Colts. I love the swing of the bat that they took in terms of getting a guy with high-end potential that if he hits, could go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or whatever. I love the move that they made. I love the fit. But the concern would be if they goofed, if they got it wrong, and Richardson is just this giant athletic quarterback with a big arm that can't actually play. Um, The other thing to highlight, I'd say, is the secondary, much like some other teams. Uh, is Julius Brents, the second-round athletic freak out of Kansas State, is he going to start? My guy Darius Rush, a fifth-rounder, is he going to start? Isaiah Rogers coming off of a very good year, former seventh-round pick. Can he replicate that? They traded Stephon Gilmore this offseason, so they're just not locked in with uh, solid starters that you could definitely project there, and even at safety as well. Julian Blackman, who's battled some injuries, and Rodney Thomas as the starting safeties. Doesn't look great on paper from a uh, back-end standpoint for the Colts. All right, on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars. Reasons. Jaguars. Jaguars. Reasons for concerns for the Jags. Mark Brunel's not there. <laughs> yeah, there's a real lack of, like, early 90s uh, institutional memory there these days. They haven't... Well, that's what I'm saying. ...haven't tapped into that. So, yeah. Have I, they I, forgotten Jimmy and Keenan and Fred and, and uh, Tony and... Tony and Tony, not just and that, but What a battle that must have been at practice. Not what just, a battle. Not just Brackens that, but they've, they've allowed other teams to tap into that wealth of resources. Like Keenan McCardell is a coach, just not for yeah. Jacksonville. You know, It's a big concern. Mark Brunel. By the way, I, Tony Brackens was so good. I bet if there was practice footage of Tony Brackens versus Tony Baselli, Baselli's not even going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Brackens probably whooped. Baselli at practice. That's how good Tony Brackens was. All right, on to uh, 2023 concerns for the Jags. Um, So the pattern is Trevor Lawrence has arrived. You know, week nine onwards, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, looked like that generational talent. What if that was just a a good range of play? Like, what if we just got eight games where 
where Trevor Lawrence looked really good, and he's about to hit the downslope of that, and he's going to go back to being okay. This is okay, this is fine, but it's not great. It's not transforming your franchise or anything. We might have just hit a high end of his run of play, and he hasn't actually arrived. That would be massively problematic. In addition to that, you know the offensive line lost one of their best players in Juwan Taylor, uh, certainly one of their best pass blockers. The rest of the group is either not great or unproven or a combination of both. Uh, Calvin Ridley coming back, we assume will be good. What if it's not? What if Ridley took a year out of the game and it's going to take some time to knock the rust off and isn't the impact player that we thought he would be? And then, as is the case every year for Jacksonville, that defense is loaded with young talent. If they don't get any better, it doesn't matter. Like, Devin Lloyd, for the first month of the season, looked like an all-pro, and then the second half of the season got benched. Uh, Trayvon Walker, this athletic marvel on the edge, had a couple of splash plays here or there where his athleticism showed, but overall wasn't particularly good as a rookie. If he doesn't get any better, that's catastrophic. Um, you know, Caleb on chase on former first-round pick has been a disaster. Josh Allen has been going. good, but it hasn't been enough. Well, that's a lot of, that's a lot of concerns there, Sam. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few. Yeah, I mean, those things I wanted to highlight, just to address the things you highlighted, because they were ones I was thinking of as well. Uh, the Trevor Lawrence stretch of play, it's not, like, unprecedented for us to see that. Like, there was, you know, stretches of play where Baker Mayfield, for eight or nine weeks, looked yes. like the you know the highest or second-highest-graded quarterback in the league. We've seen Kirk Cousins do that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do that going forward. I think it's fair to say, hey, maybe we're looking at Trevor Lawrence and saying, well, because... He's this toolsy former number one overall pick who we expected to get there. Once he gets there, he's going to stay. That might be, and, and so maybe he is. Maybe he is going to be a top five quarterback, you know, in perpetuity, and, and and that's the case. But before he turned that corner, he was in the bottom half of the league. He wasn't great. Um, it wasn't like he went from mid-tier to, like, figured it out and he was elite. It was bad his rookie year in parts of the the first half of last season. So, um, we don't know for sure if Trevor Lawrence is is you know going to be that top five guy that we're expecting. I think the O line is absolutely a fair concern. Their best player is probably Brandon Scherf. He's coming off of his worst year. Um, Cam Robinson's not only average, but he's suspended for the first few games or whatever it's going to be. Right tackles a big question mark. And then what you highlighted on the defense, even though the defensive line had shown had games where it's like wow, good looking young defensive line. When Patrick Mahomes had one leg in the playoffs they couldn't even get close to him right so they still have work to do up front so um i still think the jags will be good but those are all things for a team that much like the lions like they're, they're very similar to the lions feel good this is their year get over the hump whatever that you know get past you get a playoff another playoff win for jacksonville get to the playoffs for detroit there are some things that could uh, derail their season mm-hmm Speaking of derail their season, the Kansas City Chiefs probably won't even make the playoffs, Sam. I mean, the, the massive holes up and down the roster. What are some reasons for concern for the defending Super Bowl champs? Hmm. Uh, not easy. I think, I mean, the biggest, it's not even a reason for concern, but the biggest threat to them every year is one key injury. You know, that's really the, the I don't want to say it's what you're banking on as an opposition because you don't want people getting hurt, but like the thing that has the biggest threat to the Chiefs in any given year is what if Travis Kelsey goes down? What if Mahomes goes down for, you know, any period of time? Like the the thing 
uh, Chris was talking about before the draft when he was trying to pitch Hendon Hooker at the bottom of the first round of Kansas City as a backup is, like, what's the biggest threat to the Chiefs? Is what if Mahomes misses six games instead of, you know, one or two here or there with an injury? What if he's down for a period of time and you actually need to turn to a backup, not just in a pinch, but for a run of play to, to even make it to the playoffs? That, I think, is is really the biggest threat I can see to them. Everything else is maybe there's areas of concern, but it's not like you'd say like it even affects their chances of winning a Super Bowl, let alone making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, when you're the Chiefs, or even the the Bills and Bengals, they're all set up to win the Super Bowl. The, the Chiefs are, it's going to be Super Bowl or bust, much like it was during the Brady era in New England or you know, any of those dynasty type of teams, like those are the expectations. So when you talk about how are we going to nitpick things, it's like, what are the things that are going to make them lose in the AFC championship or in the Super Bowl or on their way? I think it might be fair to point out that even though it worked out last year with the receiving core that they had and they adjusted to the league and all that stuff, right? it's still not great. And if the league adjusts back this year, do they have enough, you know, winning one-on-one type of talent, right? They did a great job creating offense without Tyreek Hill way better than I expected. Like kudos to Mahomes and Andy Reed and Eric B and the whole team. Can they do that again? Are they going to rely too much on Kadarius Tony? And he's really just a gimmicky type of player and not uh, a number one type. You lose a Juju Smith Schuster. Are you going to get that production from other players? Um, and is Travis Kelsey turns 34 during the season. Mm-hmm. So the, the first hurdle for the chiefs, I think was, what does that offense look like without Tyreek Hill? And I feel like they they passed that. There's still this question, what does the offense look like without Travis Kelsey? Yeah. Right? Is is Mahomes so transcendent that it's okay? Right? He'll make like Noah Gray is going to be the next dude. Or it doesn't matter, like the offense will be different and we'll distribute the ball differently. So now last year we finally saw them without Tyreek Hill. What if Travis Kelsey loses a step at some point this year, next year, whatever it might be? Will they be okay? Obviously, we're we're not saying that is going to derail their playoff hopes or anything like that, but it's it's Super Bowl or bust, and those are the types of things where if those pop up, it's going to be more difficult in a, in a challenging AFC. Yeah, we did have some evidence, you know, that Tyreek Hill had missed some games and everything was still fine when Travis Kelsey was there. There have been very few times where Kelsey has been missing. You know, the guy's played at least, what, 16, 15 games, I think, every season of his career, or effectively. So that one is more of a question mark, and... But this is probably the hardest one in the NFL to find reasons for concern, right? It's literally like, what happens if somebody gets hurt? All right, Los Angeles Rams, reasons for concern. Uh, They haven't pieced it back together again. I mean, last season we saw what happens when the offensive line is not one of the better ones in the league, when your stars and scrubs approach, when everybody is on fire. Have they fixed that in the offseason? I mean, their biggest move, maybe top to bottom, was trading away one of those stars was getting rid of Jalen Ramsey. Um, their offensive line is still supposed to be Joseph Noteboom at left tackle, who's a question mark, Steve Avila, a rookie, Brian Allen, Coleman Shelton, Rob Havenstein. That, that's not the kind of group that you want to put in front of Matthew Stafford and, and are like, 100%, it's going to be great, not a problem. So that's a worry. Yeah, it's the O-line. It's the roster. You know? <laughs> I mean, the roster's just a, it's a question mark, right? It's like, it's an intriguing group that, you know, if you're, if you're resetting the roster, it's like, wow, there's a lot of young guys. There's a lot of athletic 
uh, corners like Robert Rochelle and Kobe Durant that could be good, but you know they also could be not good. And so the Rams just have a ton of question marks, both sides of the ball. Uh, it's it's really Aaron Donald and friends, and a lot of uh, you know backup type of friends who are going to be starting. And all the draft picks that they had last year, we said it feels like the Rams had a good draft because all these guys have a path to the field, and it's gonna you're probably gonna have seven, eight, nine contributors just from this draft class, which is exciting. You know, as far as like seeing young players and seeing who's part of the future for the Rams. And it's also, you know, could be six wins. So reasons for concern, I I think, feel obvious because once the old line fell apart last year, the rest of the team did. And then it and then it became preseason week three games once uh, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup got hurt. I'm not saying it will get to that point, but if Stafford and Cup are healthy all year, questionable O-line, questionable back seven, it would still be a rough year for the Rams. I just like the, how succinct you were. Reasons for concern, the roster. Roster. Mm. Yeah. It's also a reason for optimism. Because I love love watching the young kids play. I like a lot of their young guys. We just don't know. We just don't know what they'll be. All right, Los Angeles Chargers, reason for concern. Uh, I mean, this one is similar to Kansas City, except it's actually based a little more in reality that until they figure out like what Indian burial ground this franchise is placed upon despite moving to different cities over the last several years and like, until they figure out why everybody keeps getting hurt and losing significant players every single year you can't buy into the offseason well, hype because you know the players aren't going to be there we have to check the archives because i would i would put money on this being the third straight year you decided indian burial ground was the reason for concern or pessimism for the chargers yeah I mean, it's just, so the cycle for the Chargers is one of the most steady constants in the world. It's like there must be some sort of universal law of physics that describes what is happening here, that every year we get really excited and we're like, this is the year for the Chargers. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. Every Look at the talent on this roster. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. They've got a quarterback. They've got a new reason for optimism in terms of uh, coaching. Kellen Moore is going to unlock the best from Justin Herbert. And then every year we get to the season and everybody gets hurt and the players you thought were going to be impactful just simply aren't around anymore and the Chargers struggle their way over the finish line and flatter to deceive that you're left with a feeling of what could have been if everybody had stayed healthy and then we just repeat the whole cycle again um two two other things I just want to highlight the defensive tackle situation has been bad for years they invested in it last year didn't matter they were still breaking records for putrid run defense a few games into the season and the other question for me is just Brandon Staley. Like, is Brandon Staley good? He went from year one, he was uh, reckless and ludicrous in his fourth down decisions for the media, which were probably good decisions, and then came back last year, was a little bit more conservative. It was his defense that gave up the, uh, what, 28-point lead in the playoffs against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Staley came in from the Rams as a defensive mastermind, right? The young Vic Fangio, the all the quarters, uh, you know, quarters adjacent coverages. He was going to be, uh, he, he doesn't one gap or two gap. He gaps in a half up front. So, you know, he's going to play the run with fewer box defenders. He had, I mean, we were giving him credit for a lot of those buzz phrases. Like, this is how you play defense in the NFL. And the Chargers haven't been great, despite having a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Um, the other concern is just guys are going to get hurt. Yeah, inevitably, because of the Indian burial ground thing. But still, as I said in the Optimism Show, this is their year's Chargers win the Super Bowl. Is there, a, uh, is there like a defined, because this is the kind of thing that generally gets talked about as having a curse. 
you know, like the curse of the Bambino or the curse of the whatever. Is there a specific curse on the Chargers that we're not aware about? Like not just a generic Indian burial ground that spans somehow the entire state of California, but is there a specific curse that we should be aware mm. of that the Chargers are um, responsible for? Like, should they be somehow cleansing this with some kind of healing? Oh, no. You know, healing ceremony or whatever. Should talk to the 2004 Red Sox, see what they could do there. Right. So, uh, they broke it, baby. They broke it. And then it led to four championships in the next next 10 years, 12 mm. years. Great. Uh, who's next? Las Vegas Raiders, reasons for concern. Well, they, they, their big offseason move at the most important position in the game was to bring in a guy who was broken and might not even be on the roster come week one because they've built it into his contract that they can cut him if he's broken. Yeah, not great. That's bad. <laughs> That's Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. for those wondering. Yes. Jimmy Garoppolo, the oft-injured, perennially broken quarterback, was signed to be the solution for the Raiders and was such a, an injury concern that they built it into his contract that they could cut him before week one if he couldn't pass a physical, which he currently has not. So, what? In addition to Jimmy Garoppolo, they did not do much to address the offensive line this offseason. So, the, I'd say the interiors has some question marks there as far as the old line goes. Can your guy Jermaine Illuminor... Uh, have another good season. He's got one good year in his career, basically, as after being a swing tackle. So question marks on the offensive line. And then who's good on defense besides Max Crosby? <laughs> Who is good on the defensive side of the ball? Who's like good? for the ninth straight year, the Raiders are like, man, we need some defensive playmakers. And you bring in a guy like Duke Shelley, who's coming off a career year at corner for the Vikings. Like is, he's got one good year. What, what are we banking on there? Uh, Trayvon Merrick, looked great as a rookie safety in 2021 regressed last year who's good on the defensive side of the ball how are you going to compete with the chiefs chargers and broncos with this defense if you're the raiders doesn't it also kind of feel like a lot of the players that we think should be good are not in the right scheme for what they do like nate hobbs looked like a fantastic slot zone corner year one year two he's playing outside and playing a lot of man coverage where he was bad it's like, well, yeah. he, like he's he's out of position and out of scheme at the moment. Like that's that's not helpful. He was very good in the Gus Bradley system as you know the slot corner position. We've seen a couple guys perform well there, but it's doesn't always transition to other spots at corner. So Chandler Jones regressed last year. Well, you know, can he bounce back? So I, I think there's reasons for optimism. I think with playmakers and various things that the Raiders have done, but the defense, I think, is the biggest issue for me. Other than, of course, whatever happens with Garoppolo. Um, and plus, they're just in Garoppolo, still just a bridge quarterback, right? The Raiders were yeah. trying to either move up. You know, they were they were either like, let's trade for Aaron Rodgers or let's move up to get a Bryce Young in the draft. Both of those failed and they landed at the bridge, which is Jimmy Garoppolo and the bridge could be broken. So it could be ugly. Also, by the way, the history of Josh McDaniels pissing people off is probably the right way of describing this the longer he's there you would imagine the more of a problem that becomes like you can you know you can deal with a guy that's irritating as hell for a period of time and the longer that time is the more difficult it is to stomach so i would just imagine that the longer mcdaniels is there particularly if they're not winning the harder it's going to be for everybody to deal with that all right let's move on to the miami dolphins reasons for concerns in miami uh, okay, so 
it's all the same, but in slightly different ways. So Tua is the reason for concern for two different reasons. Number one, he got concussed several times last season. Uh, let's say three for the ease of argument. Um, concussed two, multiple, two to four times. <laughs> two to four times. Uh, concussed multiple times. He's been apparently learning judo in the offseason or something to, like, fall better. Uh, optimism. That's that's a reason for optimism. His yeah. body transformation, by the way, looks the exact opposite of Russell Wilson's. He's gone from... Trying to get thicker. Yeah, yeah, he's gone from, like, lean and sprightly to kind of chunky in the offseason uh, in the hope that, that will help him absorb his head being smashed off the turf. Anyway, yeah, if he takes another hit, and what if the concussion thing comes back and we're talking about him missing half the season? Uh, number two... Right at the end, not right, remember just when he started to hit the concussion issues, teams had started to adjust to this offense and slowed them down. And we were talking about, well, are they going to be able to, you know, they, they were hitting what the Chiefs hit. And the question was, can Mike McDaniel counter the counter? Can he adjust to the adjustment? And we didn't, I don't think, really get that resolved because Tua then got concussed multiple times. We had to see Skylar Thompson, Teddy Bridgewater, and, and like, it's just an unknown, right? So going into the season, I think one of the kind of under-talked-about discussion points for Miami is, does this system, does Mike McDaniel, does this offense have an answer to what teams were starting to do to them late in the year or after they'd, they'd had such a dominant run at the start? Because if they can't, that's an area for concern. Yeah, what do you make of the Dolphins' season? Because there were there were games where Tyreek Hill had a big game and Jalen Waddell had a big game and two of his stats were great and they scored 18 points or 22 points or whatever. So it, I thought they were awesome offensively. Honestly, I think we've given a ton of credit to Kyle Shanahan through the years for creating statistical offense, but it's not like Shanahan's teams always scored 30 points a game or anything like that too. Like there is sometimes a disconnect between oh you made this quarterback play well or have good stats and it doesn't always show up on the scoreboard right so i think not always but sometimes there's that disconnect with um and there was last year i think with the dolphins i also all of the two uh, injury concerns obviously a concern they add mike white the great mike white as a backup uh to deal with those issues as well um and then of course i think it's it's offensive line still liam eikenberg at guard and austin jackson at right tackle Neither of those guys have played good football yet. Right. And then Teron Armstead has been injured each of the last seven years or whatever it's been. Yeah. So two-fifths of the offensive line don't appear like they're even at the uh, uh, average, right? They're below average players historically. And then your left tackle, we know how different it looked last year when Teron, uh, Teron Armstead got hurt. It's nice bringing in Isaiah Wynn as uh, insurance for bo both of those issues, but there's still question marks going into 23. I mean, to put some numbers to the sort of the, the struggles, quote-unquote, that I'm talking about, um, Tua had 19 turnover-worthy plays last year. Seven of them came in the last three games that he played. Uh, last four games, if you want to extend it out as far as that. Uh, those four games, he didn't have a PFF grade above 63.5, and he had, before that, he was on a run of 71, 91, 84, 97. Like, he was out of his mind for the first half of the year. But those last few weeks, he was different. You know, and not just him, but the offense was different. Like, teams had actually found something that was causing this offense some problems. And then Tua got hurt, and we didn't really get to see if they had a resolution to that or if they were able to counter it. And by the way, 
That's one element that Kyle Shanahan probably doesn't get enough credit for, that he's been doing this and cooking for years, and teams haven't figured it out. Teams haven't stopped him. Teams haven't neutralized Kyle Shanahan. He has kept going and kept evolving and kept iterating and kept that offense ahead of the curve, and we probably don't give him enough credit for that. We just say, oh, Kyle Shanahan's offense is a cheat code. It's not, like, it can't, it's not the same thing. You know, he's, he's kept going. True. We got to see that. Uh, see that from Mike McDaniel going forward. All right, Minnesota Vikings. Try to keep it condensed here, Sam. Vikings reasons for concern. I just repeat previous seasons. They're the same. They they are the same team they've been for the last X number of years, and that has a very defined set of outcomes that is short of where you want to be. They will be contending for the playoffs. They will not be good enough to win in the playoffs. I mean, for me, it's just that they they lost some good players, right? Like they got good play from even though the secondary was or the the pass defense was rough last year. Patrick Peterson individually played pretty well, and um, Adam Thielen's gone. And even though he had lost a step, have they replaced what Adam Thielen was just a couple of years ago? So wide receiver two is a question. Eric Kendricks is gone. They've lost good players, well, and so to me, it's a lot like the Rams, where it's like new and exciting. Because you see some young players, and you might get the next guy, and you know you fill in some some spots along the depth chart with um, with new faces. But they also might not be that good, and so it is it is a weird year where I think the Vikings could be worse this year on the field, but you know have a they could be worse on the field, and the record will be a little bit worse because they won't have as much luck. You know they're just they are kind of what you described, right? They're just a compete for the playoffs type of team, but they have some holes. Yeah, I mean, let me phrase it like this, right? Do you imagine a world where the Vikings are significantly better than they were a year ago? No, it would it would be that they hit on those those young players, right? Like they, that they have the two first rounders coming back in the secondary. Like it's their young players would have to step up and be really, really good. Either in, in most of them second year players because they didn't add a ton in the draft this year. Jordan Addison, though, would have to be wide receiver too right away. It's a lot of Guys they drafted over the last two years have to be good right away because we haven't really seen any of those guys on the field. Right. So, I mean, that's the area for concern, right, is that there's almost no conceivable yeah. scenario where they are significantly better than they were last season, which means they're not I, winning a championship. I wrote down losing good players as a concern. Yeah, it's pretty good. Which seems fair. All right, New England Patriots, reasons for concern in New England. Uh, the... I mean, they're, they're another one of those teams where that probably starts with the division. Miami, the East Buffalo, is loaded. NFC East, um, or AFC East, rather. Um, the AFC in general, I mean, they're up against it in, just in terms of how many loaded teams they would have to get past. And ultimately, we don't know if Mac Jones has a ceiling any higher than he showed in his rookie year, which was solid, pretty good, certainly good for a rookie, but not good enough to, to beat you know contenders. Yeah, yesterday we highlighted uh, Bill O'Brien coming back, or you know, two days ago. Bill O'Brien coming back, defense being good and adding more talent to it. Offensively, did they do enough? They lose Jacoby Myers. They basically replace him with Juju Smith-Schuster. So it's another Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Tequan Thornton's there. Is that enough from a pass catcher standpoint? You get rid of uh, John New Smith, you replace him with Mike Kosicki at tight end. Did they do enough offensively? Because they're chasing they're chasing the Bills, right? They still are looking up now at the Dolphins. 
last year. They're chasing the Bills, and at no point over the last couple of years, except the one game when it was like 60-mile-an-hour wins, at no point was this Patriots offense really threatening the Bills, really threatening them and saying, hey, we can win this game because we can go toe-to-toe with Josh Allen in your offense. Have the have the Patriots done enough there? Is Bill O'Brien, the play caller, enough? Because we've seen, we've seen Mac Jones with Josh McDaniels as a rookie. That's when he played pretty well. We know we saw him with uh, you know the defensive coordinator last year, Matt Patricia, calling plays, and now so is Bill O'Brien enough to get them over the hump? Because even when McDaniel's was here, that probably wasn't enough. So that's the concern for New England. Are they just another mid-tier type of team with a decent defense that's going to be competitive and win eight or nine games? Yeah, that's it. On to the New Orleans Saints. Reasons for concerns in Nolans. Um, similar to Minnesota, I think that they're just capped with how good they can be. Like this is a team that should be starting the season as favorites for the NFC South, but can they be any better than that? Like, is the talent on this team good enough for them to actually go on a run and beat the best teams in the NFL? And it's difficult to imagine a world where that's true with Derek Carr as your quarterback. Like that's been his sort of failing, his criticism throughout his NFL career is he's fine. He's in that, you know, mid-tier quarterback range, but to win, to win championships, you either need a guy better than that or you need the roster around him to be way better than that. And the Saints isn't. I mean, they've hemorrhaged talent on the defensive side and okay, they've restocked it a bit, but it's probably not going to be better than it was last year, which means Derek Carr needs to be a lot better than he was and the situation a quarterback was. We said this during free agency, right? Like we said if, if the Jets, right, if the Jets were going after Derek Carr, no way. But if the Commanders were going after Derek Carr in the NFC, it's like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They'll they'll be a lot better. The fact that the Saints have Carr, who might be the best quarterback in that division, probably is until we see more from some of the young guys. It feels better for the Saints, but if you put Carr on, you know, you know, when he was with the Raiders, even it's like, oh, he's probably the. If Russell Wilson doesn't completely collapse, he's the worst quarterback in that division. So, um, you know, for me, the Saints roster, it's the defensive line turnover over the last couple of years. These are the concerns. Cameron Jordan's lost it a little bit. They haven't replaced guys like Trey Hendrickson over the last couple of years. Marcus Davenport's out. Um, so they've got the youth movement there. Cornerback uh, two opposite Marshawn Lattimore. Paulson Adebo regressed a little bit in year two. Um, and then Michael Thomas is slated to start at wide receiver. And I used that as a positive the other day, but you know, we haven't seen him in a couple of years and he hasn't been healthy. So they're fragile at wide receiver. So they're fragile at a couple different spots on the roster. Um, the roster I think has gotten slightly worse over the last few years since the Drew Brees era. And, you know, Derek Carr is going to be there to, to pick them up. Right. So those are the concerns. I think there's, there's a few spots on the roster that, that, our question marks going into the season. Their offensive line also was a was pretty bad last season for a large yes. part of the year, and it's basically the same group coming back to try and do it again next year. Now, look, Trevor Penning was a first-round pick. They expected him to play last season. He was hurt uh, in training camp or whatever, and, and James Hurst got the starting gig, and they didn't really put Penning back in until late in the year. But if, if Penning isn't a big jump forward over James Hurst, who last season was solid, uh, then – Four out of the five, maybe three out of the five starting positions are at least questionable, which is a pretty bad starting point. On to the New York Giants. Reasons for concern for the Giants in 2023 and beyond. 
Um, they overachieved last year, and as much as I think they've done a solid job the offseason trying to restock and trying to upgrade across the board and make sure they don't regress, the chances are they probably do, and we sort of see where the talent level of this team should ultimately land. Yeah, I think I think I mentioned this in the Optimism Show. I think they're, they could be a better football team and win fewer games. You know, that's allowed. I, it, it happens. You know, it, it's the offseason, and I know they're, they're just going to get better. But I it's going to be difficult for them to replicate what they did last year. Uh, Daniel Jones had a career year. Was that good enough, having a, a career? You just paid Daniel Jones money like he's going to go win more playoff games. He won a playoff game as your, as your starter. Can he do that again? Um, and then, yeah, on the on both sides of the ball, it's not it's a it's a pretty good roster. I think it's a roster going in the right direction. But do you have uh, do you have the playmakers to help drag Daniel Jones along when he's not having great games? Right? Can he, is he relying on his legs a little bit too much in some of those games? Uh, do you have the pass rush besides Dexter Lawrence? Um, so we have all these like one-off examples. Daniel Jones had a great game against Minnesota. Dexter Lawrence took over that game. Can they do it consistently? It's Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau, and who else up front? Leonard Williams. Is that enough up front? So they're just like, they're good. They're good. They're not 12-win good or whatever they had last year. So they're almost inevitably going to win fewer games, might not make the playoffs, and they could actually be a better team. They're also all the all the players that they brought in to sort of make potentially the biggest upgrades or the biggest differences from a year ago are pretty big risks, at least in year one, to achieve that. So, you know, Darren Waller is obviously the potential he has to impact this team is huge, but Darren Waller's got a pretty long injury history at this point, and that's a concern. Evan Neal, if he takes a big step forward, could be huge for this team at right tackle. You know, Andrew Thomas has kind of shown the way at left tackle, but if Evan Neal doesn't get any better, that's pretty problematic and unlike Andrew Thomas where they rebuilt his technique in year one there was no sort of ready-made excuse for Evan Neal to be bad he was just bad so if he doesn't get significantly better that's an issue um the at corner Deontay Banks in the first round I think is a perfect schematic fit but most of the time first round cornerbacks do not play particularly well Sauce Gardner you know goes and breaks the the mold and changes that but the odds are that Deontay Banks will not be a an impact first round or an impact cornerback for them year one. That's going to be down the line. So all the sort of positions that they've identified as like, here's a guy that's going to come in and completely transform things. If you were betting the odds, the chances are that each one of those potentially is more likely not to make an impact than it is to actually make an impact. All right, on to the New York Jets. Reasons for concerns. <laughs> Concern. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is old. He's old. He's also weird, you know, and that might not work. That's, now you're going to get sued. I mean, look, so, okay, the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers are running. They're, they're repeating history. History is just a, a flat circle, and we're doing it all, all over again. We already did this with Brett Favre, Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks of his generation, signs with the Jets and looks like crap. And the whole thing went to hell, and they got rid of him, and he ends up going to the Vikings before they find before Brett Favre rediscovered that all play. Entirely possible that Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets just doesn't work. You know, new environment, new team. All right, he's brought a lot of the old faces as well, but 
you would immediately have concerns anytime that the offensive coordinator appears to be a passenger in this whole dynamic. Like, you know, with the greatest respect, Nathaniel Hackett appears to be there as like a patsy for Aaron Rodgers to just do what he wants. That generally doesn't feel like a great dynamic for success of coach versus coach quarterback dynamic. So the concern is this move, the all or nothing move that they made for this thing to work goes the way the Russell Wilson Denver thing went. And it's just a disaster. Ooh, wow. Oh, is Nathaniel Hackett that guy back to back years with Russell Wilson with Aaron Rodgers? I brought it up Dude, if he on is, a previous he's never show. A job maybe again. I'll do it on the if I remember on the preview shows going into the season, but how much of Aaron Rodgers his success with Nathaniel Hackett, you had Matt LaFleur there as the head coach. And I think Matt LaFleur was a big reason for Rodgers taking a career that looked like it was on the downturn from a production standpoint and spiked back up into two MVP caliber seasons. How much of that was Matt LaFleur being compared with Aaron Rodgers? And like you're saying, having that check and balance in there, because Rodgers does seem to do better when either Mike McCarthy or Matt LaFleur had some level of input and they're the head coach and is Aaron because Robert Sala is a defensive coach. So is it really going to be Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett running the show, AKA Rodgers is running the show. That could be a reason for concern for sure. Right. And also whenever you heard how the sort of dynamic worked previously in green Bay, whenever Rodgers was getting challenged by anybody, it was LaFleur and his coaching and his input and his things. And then when you heard about how it worked with Hackett, it was like Hackett had star Wars references and, and Rodgers liked that, you know? That's like, well, okay. So it sounds like the guy that was really sort of challenging Rodgers and actually like pushing him, coaching him hard was the head coach, was not Hackett. Now, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing necessarily. I don't know. But my intuition says that a coach who's just there for to make the quarterback happy is probably not a good thing. Um, the, uh, two other things to highlight here. Uh, both tackle spots, uh, Max Mitchell – was a rookie, was okay last year at right tackle. Left tackle, Makai Becton keeps getting hurt. Dwayne Brown is old. He's on the roster. Uh, so both tackle spots are a question mark. The other thing is, as great as Garrett Wilson is as a receiver, and he could be the next Devontae Adams for Aaron Rodgers from a statistical standpoint, if we gave Rodgers this group of playmakers in Green Bay, his buddy Alan Lazard, uh, Corey Davis is, you know, He's good, still might be the second-best receiver there. Randall Cobb comes over from Green Bay. McCall Hardman's there. If that was the Green Bay group, would we still be saying, ah, something's kind of missing there? Like, they still want a more, like, a better number two because, you know, who knows? Corey Davis has just been so inconsistent. Is there still something missing there beyond Garrett Wilson, even though they have players who are decent, right? Yeah. They're good players in volume. Sure. And, by the way, the other concern, so we keep sort of looking at Rodgers and saying, you know, last year was not Rodgers declining because physically there was no sign of it. You know, his arm looked as good as ever. He looks every bit the way he did in his early 20s. Um, we've also said before a lot on this show that father time comes after different quarterbacks or different players in different ways. Brett Favre now could roll out there and have an NFL caliber arm. That dude never lost his arm, ever. The way father time kicked Brett Favre's ass is that once he hit his 40s or once he hit that age, the hits that he used to take, and he used to take a lot of them, instead of bouncing back, he started to break or he started to, he couldn't bounce back in the time frame. It took a while for his body to heal. Rodgers is going to be 40 in the season, during the season. If the way Father Time comes after Rodgers is that he's just more brittle now than he used to be and injuries that used to, 
you know, be nothing or they used to come back from in a week take three weeks to come back from or just start to affect him? Like he pulled a calf in OTAs. I'm, you know, who the hell knows? But like if injury starts to hit Roger, if Father Time hits Rogers in the injury way instead of the physical decline way, like that's a potential concern. It's great. I mean, very relatable as a former professional athlete, being in my 40s, much like Aaron Rodgers. Of course. Uh, former calf injury survivor, much like Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. I think he's uh, – my calf injury was fake. I think he was faking it just to try to get out of work. Understandable. We've all done that before. Um, but I am more brittle in my 40s, Sam. And mm. I have to say, Aaron Rodgers and I, very, we, I, I relate to him extremely well. It could be a challenge being a brittle 40-year-old. Like the Tom Brady thing, it's going to – it's going to break people's brains a little bit. The fact that he was able to play till you know, his mid forties, it's, we're going to look at these guys now, Rogers, people who are hitting 40. And if we don't see a sign of physical decline, we're going to be like, nah, it's not a problem. He's got years left in the tank. He can go on to at least 50, but realistically, most of those guys, even if they're not showing an outward sign of physical decline internally are showing it like they're, there was a reason that Tom Brady didn't want to take a hit for the last year or two, right? Because the chances are if he takes a hit, it's going to impact him in a way that it wouldn't when he was 26. The physical decline is real even if it doesn't take any juice off your arm or if you still haven't lost a step. The chances are your body is still not what it used to be. And if you take a shot, that can affect you in a way it didn't before. How does the uh... – pessimism show always takes so much longer sam we're just we're just naturally negative here highlighting all the all the concerns for each team uh philadelphia eagles any concerns in philadelphia sam yeah this is another tough one isn't it um i I guess i mean for me it's probably it might not even be for this year but once you pay you pay justin uh jalen hurts and you know is that going to affect roster depth going forward i think that's that's a question mark um, as much as I love bringing Darius Slay and James Bradbury back, like James Bradbury's had an up and down career. You've got a lot invested in those two guys who are getting older at cornerback. So you just might have aging corners and the starting safety group doesn't look that great in Philadelphia. So, you know, those are a couple things we could highlight. Yeah. I mean, there's a concern, you know, what happens if Jalen Hurts didn't get uh, wasn't isn't just consistently getting better la- uh, through his career, but last year was like a high point. You know, this this concept of development is not always linear. What if he takes yeah. a step back? That's that's always a potential concern. But the main one is probably, as you sort of said, just the turnover they've had on this roster. Like anytime you have turnover, by definition, you're relying on an unknown quantity either coming in from the depth chart already, a guy taking a step up and being better, or a guy coming in from the outside and replacing what you lost without a step back. So, as you say, both safeties are going to be new. Um, both linebackers that they're going to be playing are new. Nicobe Dean is going to be stepping into that role. Uh, another linebacker to replace um, Kazir White. TJ Kazir White and TJ Edwards. Right. So there's just been a lot of turnover on this team, and if the turnover doesn't have a high strike rate or a high success rate, they're going to be worse. The other one to highlight is right guard. Isaac Samalu has done a great job at guard sure. for the Eagles over the last couple of years. He signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cam Jurgens, uh, last year draft pick, 2022 draft pick, slated to replace him. So, yeah, just a few question marks up and down the uh, roster there for the Eagles, but overall, very good. So they're probably not making the playoffs again this year, Sam? Of course not. Of course not. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, reasons for concern in Pittsburgh. They didn't change the coaching. Um we were yeah. reasonably impressed with 
I think both Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky last year relative to expectations, and yet Kenny Pickett threw seven touchdowns and nine interceptions at 6.2 yards per attempt, and Trubisky had four touchdowns and five interceptions at seven yards per attempt, and I don't think they were the problem. So Matt if, Canada's back, man. If they weren't the problem, and the receiving core wasn't the problem, and the offensive line wasn't really the problem, because that was pretty good from a pass-blocking standpoint then the problem has to have been scheme and coaching, and that didn't change. Yeah, I mean, look, Big Ben, you could tell, we talk about decline and physicality, like physical decline. You saw physical decline in Big Ben over the last couple of years, and he was averaging like under six yards per attempt his last two seasons. But Matt Canada being the play caller there, there was, whether it was Ben Roethlisberger, you know, aging and physically unable to throw the ball the way he was previously, or Kenny Pickett, who throw for throw looked pretty decent like you said there's something missing in this offense right there's not free yards and this is why it is so tough to evaluate quarterbacks just by stats like Patrick Mahomes threw two touchdowns in the Super Bowl where he just threw the ball straight to the flat and a dude was just wide open uncovered and he gets a touchdown for it right and in the some in the Shanahan scheme and everything Brock Purdy did statistically there are some schemes that we talk about where the quarterback might be good but also there's just free yards there's free touchdowns. There's free stats there. And the Steelers' offense seems to be the opposite, where they have good playmakers. Uh, they probably don't attack the middle of the field as much as they could. They did a little bit more with Kenny Pickett. There's just something missing there. There's no There's no freebies. There's no free yak. There's, no, there's nothing schemed up, and that could still be an issue this year for Pittsburgh. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of other things going well, I think, in Pittsburgh. I love what they've done this offseason, so... Oh, I really, yeah, say, I, I really like what they've done generally in the offseason. I think they've had one of the better offseasons in the NFL, but the biggest concern for them is that, you know, the thing that looked like the biggest problem last year didn't change. All right, Seattle Seahawks, reasons for pessimism in Seattle. Um, what if Geno didn't become a different player and we just caught a high end of Geno play, yeah. which we've had in the past, and it was started to get found out towards the end of the season. What if that just continues and they don't actually really have a quarterback? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a real one. I think um, even more specifically, he was number two in the NFL in turnover-worthy plays and only finished with, what, like nine interceptions? There's So a, a lot of the things that went well last year, 31 turnover-worthy plays for Geno, uh, including the playoffs, only 10 actual interceptions, I think it was, 9 or 10, that you, you probably can't play like that and get away with it again. And even a guy like Tariq Woolen, who I think is fantastic, cornerback play, as we've talked about, the production tends to fluctuate a little bit. He still gave up a lot. If he doesn't get those interceptions, is he still going to be uh, playing at a high level? There were just a few places on the roster where I think Seattle could regress. Another team, love what they're doing with their roster. Last year's draft was fantastic. It looks like this year's draft was very good again. Roster-wise, things are going in the right direction. But if Geno Smith regresses or the stats regress to the mean just a little bit, might not be as successful as they were last year. Yeah. Um, whether and Some combination of Geno Smith and or the offensive tackles need to step forward or at least uh, reverse the regression that happened late in the season. If that doesn't happen, then Seattle's kind of uh, rebirth or, or development ahead of the schedule last season may have just been a false dawn. 
All right, on to the San Francisco 49ers. Reasons for concern for the Niners. Pretty obvious one, I think. Um, the re- most recent photograph update of Jimmy G's elbow I saw. Brock Purdy? Uh, sorry, yeah, Brock Purdy's elbow was in like an entire scaffolding brace thing. Like it's on the screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, that's the last image I saw of Brock Purdy's elbow, who's theoretically their starting quarterback right now. That's a pretty big concern, I think. Was it Tommy John surgery? I don't think so, no. It wasn't Tommy John? No. Okay. Because supposedly he's been throwing, so he takes the brace off to throw and all that stuff. (laughs) Just trying to keep it secure. But yeah, I mean, who's starting a quarterback? I mean, look, last year at this time, we weren't concerned about Trey Lance. We just, he he was an unknown. He was a fascinating storyline going into the year. Were they going to tap into... Trey Lance and the run game, and uh, was he going to develop some of his accuracy and decision-making issues that he had shown in the preseason and during his little regular season time? We might be able to get to see Trey Lance, but he remains the same question mark. Or we get Sam Darnold, who could be good for three games and then won't be. So quarterback, I think, is a concern for the Niners because it's a great unknown. I'd say right tackle losing Mike McGlinchey, not necessarily having a great replacement for him. Uh, Those are the biggest ones, I think, for the Niners. Yeah, I think one of the quietly uh, problematic areas of this roster is that offensive line. Like, it's Kyle Shanahan does a fantastic job of generally masking an offensive line that might not have the best talent in the world. And this is with the caveat that Trent Williams is an absolute monster at left tackle. Like, that dude is still the best left tackle in the NFL. The guy is absolutely phenomenal. But the other four spots, Aaron Banks, John Feliciano, Spencer Burford, Colton McKivitz probably, um, and even, like, if you want to, we want to swap one of those guys out for his backup. It's probably not an upgrade. It doesn't change the sentiment. There's definitely scenarios where that offensive line is a problem this year. All right, on to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Reasons for concern in Tampa Bay. <laughs> Did you see the video of Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield in practice? Dude, I, I knew you were going to bring it up. Uh huh. That's it's like the opposite of a bear trap. I mean, it's a bear trap, but a negative one. That was like when Christian Hackenberg threw the ball that hit the reporter. Uh huh. Which was probably true. Yes. But it's like, but but it was, but it's like Miles Garrett whooped Joe Thomas at training camp. Okay, but so on that, a screen, that one, that one is an argument. It, it, you're, you're not helping your case by saying it's like that video of Christian Hackenberg proving that he couldn't play NFL quarterback. It's like, yeah, that's that's the thing. But Trask, so they missed a couple open throws. Yes. There's three misses in there. Consecutively, like back-to-back. Each guy, like Baker's rep, airmail. Trask's rep, airmail. Baker's rep again. Goof. My takeaway was that the Bucks' tight ends are slow. I did, like, at least two of those passes, to be fair, did look very catchable. Yeah. But the first one was awful. Like, this is what I don't understand with Baker Mayfield in, in the NFL is how he went from being one of the most accurate quarterbacks we'd seen in the college level and that translated to you know um com- to when he was throwing in the pre-draft process like he looked like one of the most accurate quarterbacks you're going to see the the one kind of constant the thing you were happy with is the dude's accuracy is on point in the nfl it hasn't been at all and it's not even like the difficult throws you know the stuff under pressure it's just he can't hit a target anymore and this was an example of that like okay everybody misses throws you know, there, there, I'm sure this wrote, there's videos out there of Tom Brady airmailing a tight end or whatever. 
Having said that, it's a throw that you expect a quarterback to make every single damn time, right? It's against air, and he missed it. And that's in the show. That's of, not the – I mean, the reason for concern isn't the, the video, though, Sam. I mean, it's just generally quarterback but the reason Baker Mayfield hasn't played good football in three years. Yes, the reason for the concern is what the video shows, which is two quarterbacks that don't look like they belong starting in the NFL. Yes. So in addition to the unease at the quarterback position for the Bucs, um, their offensive line, which did not play very well last year overall, right tackle, you got Tristan Wirfs moving to left tackle, Donovan Smith is out, right tackle's a big question mark, one of the guard spots, still a question mark, they've lost some talent on the defensive side of the ball, some depth in the secondary, they're starting nickel, yeah, I mean, I think there's, for the, the team ran it back and brought veterans back that looked good on paper over the last couple of years, they're all gone, so nothing uh, far fewer places look good on paper going into the season for the Bucs. And if if Baker Mayfield isn't good as the starter, I mean, the Bucs are probably picking in the top 10 next year. Yeah, I mean, right now, if you look at the, the sort of depth chart on PFF, their grades are obviously based off last season, and it's Baker Mayfield, number one on the depth chart with a grade of 50.6, Kyle Trask, number two, with a grade of 43.1. That's what that video looked like, you know? Like bad and worse. <laughs> if that's their yeah. quarterback situation this year, they're 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 boned. Maybe the video summed it up. If you kept playing the video, though, they hit all the next the rest of their throws. Okay. Did you keep playing it, or did you just watch the misses? No, no, I watched the whole video. Okay. They hit those five yard stick routes. Yeah. Very good. It's not a very high baseline, you know. Two more teams. Tennessee Titans. Reasons for concern. Um they haven't really gotten dramatically better from a year ago. Like this team, we talked about them. Yeah, they're having, rebuilding. They're, they're, right. But most of it's a rebuild. But they're only kind of rebuilding. Like it's not even, they've seemed, we've talked about them before about having their fingers sort of hovering over the reset button and they haven't ever quite hit it. They're still in that position, right? They made a couple of moves here or there that suggest rebuild, but then they've made other moves that haven't. Like they haven't, traded away the big key pieces that you would have expected them to, to do if they were really going hard for a rebuild. Now, maybe they've tried and they simply haven't had the offers, um, but they haven't done like what the Cardinals did, for example, right? Which is, yeah, we'll trade away DeAndre Hopkins for a first round pick. No, first, no. What about a second? No, not a second either. Day two? No, nothing. Then the draft goes and it's like, okay, fine. We'll just cut him. Like, <laughs> getting rid of his contract is better than not than getting you know nothing for him. We'll, we'll just we'll deal with it. They didn't do that at all. They didn't make the trade, whether the offers were good enough or not. They didn't get anything done, and then they didn't cut anybody off the back of it. They're just sort of hovering with the same team, with a couple of additions that suggest future rebuild and maybe you know competitive rebuild and whatever. But like, it just feels like they've spun their wheels for the last couple of years when other teams have gotten better. I mean, the, the real concern for Tennessee, I think you highlighted it. Did you do the wide receiver unit article or whatever? But the wide receiver room for the Titans, Traylon Burks could still be good. But beyond that, Nick Westbrook-Akina, who was awesome when I saw him in person, but not awesome <laughs> otherwise. Uh, Kyle Phillips, Reggie Roberson, Racy McMath, Chris Moore. Who's catching passes in Tennessee, Sam? Yeah. I mean, you, you have no idea. You can definitely make a case that that's one of the worst wide receiver rooms to ever enter an NFL season. On paper. Oh, ever? Yeah, I mean, look ever? at it. Can we get our listeners to do some uh, research here? What's the worst wide receiver room in NFL history? And then, by the way, they had the worst offensive line in the league last season. 
okay, they've made some additions, like Peter Skoronsky in the draft, Andre Dillard in free agency. Dillard was a guy who hasn't played well at tackle to the point where a first-round pick lost his job to a rugby player um, for the Eagles. Dylan Radons was supposed to be, like, the future at tackle to them, has now been trying to rescue his career at guard. I mean, it's probably going to be better than it was a year ago on the basis that it couldn't be worse, but it might still be a problem. All right, let's wrap it up. Reasons for concern with your Washington Commanders. There's none. They got a new owner. Yeah. Great. Uh huh. Uh, I mean, the obvious reason for concern is they've hitched their wagon to a fifth round draft pick who we don't know if he's good or not. That Sam Howell, quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is. I, I would also highlight the thing that I called that I'm optimistic about, which is their defensive line that Chase Young maybe. They, they turned down his fifth-year option. They rejected his fifth-year option, and he can he ever get back to what he was? Obviously, the the whole season hitch, uh, hitches on on Sam Howell and, and what he develops into, but, um, you know, a Chase Young not bouncing back to what he was also feels like a big concern for me as well. Yeah, and the defense generally. I mean, there's a lot of talent on it, but it hasn't necessarily played at an elite level. Again, similar to um, whoever we talked about before, the, the, the Giants, I think some of the players that they expect to make an impact in this defense. You know, so this is why we talk about every year. The, the one thing you don't want to do is go into the draft knowing that your first-round pick, your second-round pick is going to have to start making an impact and be good year one. Otherwise, you have a problem spot at that position because, generally speaking, rookies do not excel year one. And sure, they do sometimes, and when it happens, it's a great bonus. But if you put yourself in that box of needing it to happen – you probably have issues. So Washington is going to need Emmanuel Forbes, a corner, to come in, start day one, and be good. Otherwise, they're going to have a corner that gets lit up every week or gets targeted every week. I'm with you, man. But it starts with Sam Howell as a big question mark. He could be great. I am fascinated by those storylines. Like Sam Howell as a fifth rounder, Desmond Ritter as a third rounder, getting to watch those guys play. And you don't always get to see those guys play for an extended period of time. So they get to start. Oh, I love see what. I love that they've done it. I actually, yeah. not necessarily because I think it's the right thing to do, but just because I'm fascinated by the storyline and how it works out. I am sure. also endlessly intrigued by last year was such a strange season for, or such a strange draft for quarterbacks because nobody liked them and they that manifested in a sort of wide range of outcomes, right? Kenny Pickett still went at 20 because the Steelers needed a quarterback. Malik Willis, who was the bag of tools that everybody or a lot of people were saying should be the one guy you take in the first round because he's at least got the tool set that you can assemble into something, slipped to the third round. Desmond Ritter, who was just a sort of average composite of tools, was the third round as well, right? And then Sam Howell, who if you reverse time a year, was generally seen as the number one overall pick and then fell off a cliff despite not even playing badly his final year in college, slips to the fifth round, and it's like, I don't, I don't even know what you do with that as a concept. It's also a small sign where I think the Marcus Mariotas and Teddy Bridgewaters and Gardner Minshews of the world, guys who have had some success starting in the league, I think teams might be done with those guys. And they'd say, okay, I'm not just going to go with the bridge quarterback. I'm just going to take a shot on the guy, the young guy on my team and see what happens. And if he's not good, I'll go to the next guy. But I think maybe fewer teams are willing to – Bridge it together with the you know, Carson Wentz, right? The, these teams tried Carson Wentz and tried Marcus Mariota. They're like, forget it. Let's see what we have in the young guy, and then we'll 
it's, we'll go from there. It's an obvious like antidote to that strategy, right? We and the Colts did the same thing. Like we swing a bunch of times at these veterans that are of a similar type of you know reclamation projects, guys that are aging, whatever it is. Like we'll we'll give the proven commodities some run, and if you swing and miss two or three times consecutively, the obvious other end of that spectrum is well, let's just get a young guy in there. I don't even care what it looks like. Draft first year, second year, whatever. Just get a young quarterback in there and try something different. And the Colts did that with Anthony Richardson. Washington have done that with Sam Howell. And I just think these are, this is probably a personal thing projecting a little bit, but those young guys are more interesting stories. Like I I have way more intrigue in seeing how Sam Howell does as this former number one overall potential prospect who slipped to the fifth round, um, who looked quite good in one game last year. I have way more interest in seeing how he performs next year than if Carson Wentz got another gig or Jimmy G for the Raiders or Derek Carr for the Saints. Like, I just, I have very limited interest in how well those guys are going to play. And we spun the pessimism show into something positive, but uh, good work, Sam. Very much in your element here. Uh, Reasons for concerns for all 32 teams. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the uh, the cricket match on the pitch between uh, Ireland and England. Those are the right words? The what? Uh, Neil wanted me to ask you about the uh, the cricket, Ireland-England matchup. It starts. Has this happened or is this going to happen or what? Are you going to be watching them? First day of five today. No. No, I'm not going to be watching. Great. I will not be as well. Yeah. Um, let us know if you're going to be watching uh, England and Ireland. Also, let us know that you've given a thumbs up to the show. You should be doing that on your way out. And uh, go check out The Optimism Show. If this was too much for you, go back and listen to The Optimism as well. Uh, we'll be back again on Monday. And uh, I'll be back in studio. Oh, nice. God willing, of course. Let's go. Sound okay. good? Anything else, Sam? No. The survey. Just, go hit the survey. Yeah. Remember to go do the survey at NFL PFF or at PFF NFL Pod on Twitter. You'll find it or the link in this uh, show description. It's there, PFF NFL listener show survey, blah, blah, blah. And it's really quick. Soon. Quick. Yeah, it's only a couple minutes. Soon, we're going to be doing your rugby skills. That's going to be fun for everybody. Can't wait. Can't wait. Win for everybody. All righty. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Monday with more PFF NFL Podcast.